Welcome to the Business Animal Podcast. Saddle up for a gallop to the top of the animal industry, where you'll learn how to tame your wild business beast with tips, techniques, and tools that will take overwhelm to obedience school and have you wagging your tail with joy. And now your hosts, Kim Beer and Kara Taylor Swift. Hey there, business animals. It's Kim with Be More Business. And Kara with Fast Horse Photography. Hey, Kim, how are you today? I am doing well. How are you, Kara? I'm all right. I'm excited to talk about this topic. But before we jump in, I wanted just to make an ask of our audience. If you have enjoyed listening to this show, we would love it if you would hop onto whatever device you use for listening and rate and raise you for us. This is super important. And I thought today, instead of leaving it to the end of the episode, I would put it at the top of the episode, just in case we were missing folks who cut off when we're done with all of our chatting at the end of the episode. So we just thank you in advance for that. So what are we talking about today, Kim? We are talking about writing a great nurture sequence. And I'll tell you, Kara, I think that if you've listened as a listener to this podcast, if you've listened to the last three episodes, so this is the third in a row of episodes where we've really concentrated on that selling process. They've built upon each other. We started out with learning how to bring value into the conversations that we have with our customers about what we offer and the value of what we're selling. Then we also talked last week about refining our sales process. And one of the things that we discussed in that, in that big three, was creating some automations. And part of the automation process is creating a great nurture sequence. So it's like we left off with that episode and dove deeper with this episode into what exactly does a nurture sequence and what does that mean? For me, nurture sequences are at the heart of evolved email marketing, which is a topic that I love to talk about. So we don't have the old days when we just use our email marketing was just our newsletter going out. I do realize there's a lot of people that do that still and are successful with it. And I say, great. I think that's important. But I also want you to understand that in a sales process, in selling that your monthly newsletters oftentimes are not the catalyst when somebody is really in that stage of wanting to make a conversion and they're in the consideration phase moving into conversion. So it's important that we have nurture sequences that meet the customer right where they are, exactly on the step that they're on in their journey with your business. And that's what nurture sequences are all about. All right. So this is going to be a fun topic today. So let's jump into the big three. So the first of the big three is, well, focusing on simply one stage of the consumer customer journey. So creating nurture sequences that are really meeting someone where they're at in that journey and then building your sequence around that. The second of the big three is to sit down and actually make a list of the value-based sales points and common pushbacks or objections that you might come across as a salesperson or as a business owner from your consumers. And then the third of those is to actually do the work of composing your emails into a series and putting together those sequences in a way that makes sense for meeting that customer, meeting that potential client where they are on their journey. Absolutely. So let's dive into the first one. And that is pick a stage in the customer-consumer journey where you want to concentrate your efforts. 
Now, ideally, you're going to have these nurture sequences for all the stages that are important in your process, but start with one. And probably the one you should start with is the consideration one, because those are the people that are most likely to bring you the amount of money in a sale. So that's most likely to offer you the earliest return on your investment to write this nurture sequence. That said, if you are inspired to write it for a different stage, don't let that inspiration just slip away. Don't kick it to the curb. Go ahead because truthfully, whatever stage you want to do this in, it's fine. Go with it. (laughs) So if you like, oh, I could do any of them, consideration is probably the one that's going to get you the biggest return on your investment the quickest. Okay, so the consumer journey, which was defined by our good friend Eugene Schwartz, which we talked about a lot last week, so we're not going to give him all the airtime this week. So uh, (laughs) he came up with these five stages of the consumer journey. So they're unaware and problem aware, and you're not going to write nurture sequences for either one of those groups because frankly, they're not in contact with you. Then there's solution aware, which is the solution aware group, which is the third phase here. They're not the nurture sequence people either because they're really only aware that they have a problem and that there's a solution out there. And they're the people that are using Google. So these people are coming into contact with your blog. They're coming into contact with your website. They're coming into contact with some other areas in your business. So they're not really the ones that we want to concentrate our nurture sequences on. Those people are in the your solution aware category. So these are people who know your business exists. They know you provide a solution that would be good for them or a good possibility for them. And now they're trying to figure out and weigh you against your competitors. They're also looking at what are the features, like where am I in this process? What's going on? And then the final stage is most aware. And that's after they've read your nurture sequences that they've become most aware. So usually in coinciding somewhere in the your solution aware and most aware phases of the consumer part of the journey, we start to dive into the customer journey because it's somewhere in there, there's a tick mark that happens that people are like, okay, this business is really a valid option for me to solve this problem and I'm really ready to go with it. And at that point, they fall into my customer journey, which is connection, consideration, conversion, and loyalty. So in all of these phases, especially consideration, conversion, and loyalty, you should have some really solid nurture sequences written. The connection phase is where they reach out to you for that information. So oftentimes in this phase is when they're going to give their email address address to be able to start really working with you. So the connection phase is where we would want to position our lead magnets. So people who are in that particular phase, that's the opportune time to have a lead magnet and to have a place for people to register for that so that they can get in your CRM, in your email marketing, so then you can add them to the appropriate nurture sequence. So if you don't understand what I mean by a lead magnet, What this is, is something that addresses the customer's pain or gain point. So either the pain they're trying to find the solution for or the gain that they know will solve the problem. And we're wanting to create a small victory with that lead magnet. And 
offer that to our customers in exchange for their email address so that we can go ahead and send them the rest of these nurture sequences. So the ones that we're concerned about in this process are the people who are your solution aware. So they've come to your website, they've gotten an interest, and hopefully what they've done is moved into connection, which is where they've offered you their email address and now you have a lead magnet to deliver to them. And then they're in the consideration phase. So this is where probably your most heavy nurture sequence needs to be. So in solution aware, your nurture sequence is going to be focused on getting them to connect. In the connection phase, it's going to be moving them into consideration with the lead magnet. In consideration, it's going to be the heavy series, which we're going to talk about in step three. I'm actually going to give you a series of six emails that you can put together for a nurture sequence. I'm going to give you the basis for those six emails. And that's the consideration phase area because we're really wanting them at this point to go ahead and put together their sale and reach out to us and say, yes, I want to buy or take the next step in that direction. Like if you're a coach, book the discovery call or whatever it happens to be. And then the final phase in the customer journey, which is hopefully catalyzes them back to the connection phase is loyalty. So that's where your newsletter comes into play, but also it's where other things that we've talked about on this show come into play. It's your customer loyalty programs that you put together to keep people loyal. It's your referral programs. It's the place where you nurture people into giving you reviews. It's the place where you ask people through a nurture sequence for testimonials for your website, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So all of those phases are key in the customer's journey from consumer to loyalty, but we need to have nurture sequences for each area that pinpoint it and move the person along the path. Does that make sense, Kara? Did I explain that well enough? It makes sense. I think sometimes, and and maybe other listeners that are out there, it can feel like a really confusing spider web of things that need to happen. Could you give like an example of like a client coming through the process, like what that could look like from from like the beginning, like when they connect? Can you give an example of what that might look like? Maybe one you've done before or that you've worked with someone on? Well, I think I would like to give one of that's probably very appropriate for our audiences. So let's say what we're going to do is we're going to have an equine chiropractor. So that's going to be our example business because I know we have equine chiropractors that listen to the show. So the person that is unaware They have a horse that, let's say this horse is a reining horse, so our consumer is a reining horse person, and they notice that or they're they're completely unaware, their scores are low, and they're kind of like, I don't understand any of this that's going on for their deals. And then they start to notice, either through a trainer or somebody else pointing out to it, that their horse has difficulty changing leads. So they're giving the cue and the horse seems to struggle in the lead change, which is causing some dropping of points in the reigning competition. 
So they realize now, okay, we have a problem with my horse changing leads. So what is it that I need to do? They may seek out different solutions to that. So their options are maybe it's a behavioral issue and they need to go see a horse trainer, or maybe it's an issue with the shoeing and the balance of the horse. So they may look at a farrier for that solution. So they start sussing things out. And then along the way, one of the solutions that pops up is equal chiropractic because maybe what's happening is the horse is locked up in their hips or there's some other physical reason. I'm not an equine chiropractor, so I can't speak directly to that, but I know equine chiropractors can fix this problem. So they start looking at that. They think, oh, well, maybe this could be something that is the thing. So they start researching online equine chiropractors. So let's say our equine chiropractor is really savvy and they have developed a lead magnet that is five reasons why your horse may be demonstrating to you that they need an equine chiropractor or that they need an adjustment. And one of those is an inability to make maneuvers in whatever that horse's chosen discipline is. So now the individual, the the reigning horse owner, the rookie or the non-pro that is, okay, my horse isn't changing leads. I'm going to go online. I'm going to research it. They come across the chiropractor. They download the lead magnet. Okay, so now that chiropractor has, the person has made a most aware move And the next step would be connection. So they've downloaded the lead magnet and they're kind of in that beginning pieces of connection. At this point, the equine chiropractor's nurture sequence should be focused on getting that person to make a phone call or a discovery call, maybe not book an appointment, maybe book an appointment, depending upon how quickly that individual wants to do it or how they've judged what their clients might be interested in. So at this point, the nurture sequences focus, I would focus it on making, getting them to make a phone call, getting them to reach out and discuss their horse's specific problem. Because for me, I know making a sale is much easier when I can talk to the person. So people listen better than they read, especially when it comes to sales materials. They don't listen that great, but at least they're halfway tuned in. A lot of times they skim text, which is fine. We we want them to skim until they make their decision. So I've got my call to action in that particular nurture sequence is to make a phone call to me, to make an appointment for a discovery call. At this point, when the person makes the phone call, when they take that next step, they've really shifted over into the conversion phase because now they're really weighing this as an option. They're saying, okay, the saddle fit solution didn't work. All of these other solutions I had looked at, the behavioral thing wasn't it. I'm sussing this down to it's got to be something out of balance. So now they're in consideration and they're weighing, is this the right solution for me? Am I ready to move forward with it? And this is where it's really important for that equine chiropractor to stay in touch. So last episode, we used the analogy of the fact it's not the early bird that gets the worm. It's the bird that's standing over the hole when the worm comes out. So this is the point where we're starting to practice that metaphor. What we're going to do is as the equine chiropractor, we're going to keep constantly in touch with this person. We're going to help them understand 
understand kind of more about the problem that their horse is having, what the role that equine chiropractic plays in in issues in training. We're going to help them understand better how behavioral issues can be related to pain in horses and on and on and on. All the good stuff that you really would love your customers to know. We're going to start feeding to this person if they didn't make the appointment when they made the discovery call. So it's really important. Otherwise, whatever we gave them on the discovery call is going to end up playing into the hand of our competitor who is standing there waiting for them when they get ready to buy. So that consideration phase can last a long time. Some of your businesses, I, equine chiropractic, I don't think it's going to be that long. But for those of you who offer things like equine facilitated coaching or equine gestalt coaching, those kind of businesses, some of the consideration phases can last a really, really long time. When I sold saddle pads, the consideration phase for the saddle pad was a really long time. <laughs> so it depends on the item that you're selling and what that time period is. Anyway, you want to nurture them through that. So that's when that's really important. And then that one needs to nurture them in this particular example that we're giving into booking an appointment, which would be the actual conversion. Now, let's say we've had the horse came in for an appointment. We went out, saw the horse, everything worked. The horse is now changing leads and we think, okay, that customer's done. No, it's not because it's never done, right? So the horse is changing leads. Now we've got that over with. The horse is out of pain and in better balance, but perhaps our horse is losing condition or something else comes up over time over maybe they begin another issue with their jaw or with how they carry their pole or something else that we want to kind of help that horse with. So now we start that whole process again as a consumer, but we already have made the connection with this business to know that when our horse demonstrates an issue, that there could be chiropractic at the root of it. From the chiropractic's business viewpoint, we want to maintain that loyalty over time. So we want to keep giving that customer information. We want to keep nurturing them, but we also want to help play on that relationship to build our business. So we want to start sending out maybe after the appointment and the horse is doing well, we want to send them a option to review us on Google so that they can give us a review and say what that is. Maybe we want to send them something that says, hey, we'll give you 10% off your next appointment if you refer three people in the next 30 days or whatever. Horse show people get to gabbin behind the scenes and if they find a good chiropractor, they'll all recommend that person to each other. So all of that is building your business. So it's taking that one customer and moving it into three or four. Did that help, Kara? That that was a pretty lengthy example, yes. but I think it shows how it would work in an overall business. It really did show the fluidity of the life cycle of a nurture sequence or multiple nurture sequences working together because that, I think, is the most confusing part for me sometimes is that spider web. It just feels confusing. Yeah. Well, and not only is it confusing, if you're trying to do this without any kind of automation involved in it, it is not only confusing, mm -hmm. it's time-consuming. If you're one-offing it, yeah. this is the metaphor we like to use for this. If you're baking one cookie at a time, it takes a lot of time to bake a cookie. But if you bake a batch of cookies and you cook them all up in advance, then you can eat a cookie anytime you want. So 
email automation works a lot the same way. We want to batch it all up so it's easy and convenient for us to think of in a package. And then we want to be able to distribute it without having to go back, mix all of the ingredients together, bake it in the oven, cool it down, and then be able to eat it. So it's really, really important that we have our automation steps in place. And another thing is we get busy. We don't have time to bake cookies one at a time. We've got to bake them in a batch. We have to automate that process as much as possible to be able to make it easy for us to be able to hand them out when we need them. This is where having a good CRM software really comes into play is because the computer can take off a lot of the load for you. And I want to invite anybody who really wants to discuss this process further. I am an automation expert with Keep, which is a solution. But so if that whole scenario sounded like something you would like to explore further, you know, my email address and phone number splattered all over everything. But so please feel free to reach out to me. I'd be very interested in in helping you see if this would be a good solution for your business. Excellent. So I think that takes us into number two, which is making a list of the value-based points and common pushbacks, such as time, money, and fear. So for me, you've got to know your client. I think I come back to that a lot, like spending the time to actually get to know who your ideal client is, who you plan to speak to is a really important part of this process of creating a nurture sequence. And it's important to know like what kind of common questions and objections that any new, I'm going to call them subscribers, but any new people that come into your system will have so that you're ready to respond. And you can use that information when you're creating your sequences. And, you know, don't forget, you can always get a better idea of the types of questions that potential clients might have by using Google. We talked about that little section called People Also Ask. It's such a great way to get other ideas about what people might ask about your business, about the type of work that you do, what kind of questions they might have about their problems. And it gives you good information to write about when you're thinking about some of the common pushbacks. I also like to think about when I'm writing any kind of content, thinking about listening to conversations that are happening in places that I am. So Facebook groups that I'm a member of or events that I attend, like listening to some of those conversations that come up in the questions. How can you intermix that knowledge and that information that you know people are trying to get into your nurture sequence? And then any chance you can, think about ways that you can evoke emotion in your emails. Look for topics that make people happy, that make them laugh, that inspire emotion. They might cry. They feel inspired. This is important that there is research that's been done that if, if you can elicit emotion from your content that people are going to listen more or that they feel more connected to you. So just some little tips on talking about how you can address and bring value into some of this. Kim, what can you add to number two? My primary thing I want to talk about here is time, fear, and money. Those tend to be the three things that people resist making a conversion over. So either they don't have the time to invest in whatever it is, or they fear it's going to take a lot of time to be able to do mm -hmm. what they need to do. And then money 
is the other one. It's an expensive investment that they have to make. And trust me, money, what your definition of expensive is not somebody else's definition of expensive. (laughs) We all have a different definition of what's expensive. It's fun to listen to like Melissa Pierce, who is my mentor, talk about all of the things that people have around money. (laughs) So we have her slated to come on the show later this season and talk a little bit more about money woes. But Money tends to be something that it, it's not your price point, folks. It's it's the other person's garbage that they have running around in their brain. But so money tends to be one. And then fear tends to be the final one. And so fear is that is this isn't going to work or I'm not making a good decision or I don't know if I can do this or all of those negative self thing, talk things that get in our head, or all our worries and doubts that sort to come up and cause us not to make a conversion on something. So the time, money, fear factor is things that you need to address specifically for your business. And the bottom line it falls back down to is the first of these three podcast episodes that we recorded. And that's understanding and establishing the value of what it is that you have to offer. I'm sorry, but if you can do that, the time, money, and fear quotients will not have near as much power because the value will outweigh them. There And there always comes a point in any sales process, which is what your nurture sequence is, it's part of that sales process, where the pinch point becomes more of a factor than any of the objections or obstacles that people are facing. That money factor is interesting because psychology tells us that people want to feel normal. Like they want to feel like they're paying what the right thing is to pay for this. So when you build the value and you're talking about that and thinking about as an objection, you can position yourself in a way that makes people think that they are getting a good deal that they're okay with the price and that the quality is going to justify the price. You're giving yourself time to do that and not just in like a one-time quick. Anytime you send it, your first communication with someone in an email where you drop them the price, most of the time it's like such a cold ask that they're not going to to book with you or they're not going to buy from you. So having the opportunity to build some of that through your nurture sequence really helps the money factor. Absolutely. Are we ready to talk about how to put this all in a sequence? Yes, I can't wait to hear this idea that you have here about the email sequences. This is something I use when clients come to me. I write a lot of email nurture sequences, to be honest with you. And when a client comes to me and says, I want to institute this as part of my business, this is my go-to where I start with them. This is kind of a typical consideration sequence that you can put together. So for that particular phase of the customer journey, this is the best place for you to take a look. So email number one is focus on commiserating with the problem. So the goal here with this email, there's six emails in this series, by the way. The first email is getting them to understand that you get them. Okay, that's the point that we really want to make. We understand your pain. I know where you're at. I've been there myself, maybe, or something along those lines. I mean, it's just really taking a moment to explain or to demonstrate in some way that you understand your customer and where they are. And that's a point of making common ground, of commiseration, of understanding them, because people do want to work with people that get them. 
Okay, that's part of your brand appeal. That's part of everything. And it's part of the sales process. It's part of the whole nine yards. So this is a really important email and that's why it's first. The second email is going to focus on what your solution is to the problem. And I don't mean knock your competition here. I mean, look at what your solution really is. What are the features of it? What is it that you alleviate pain-wise? What is your particular solution? How you do business? That's really important. Don't be afraid to show your brand personality in these emails. So that's email number two. Email number three is helping people see what their life would look like if the problem was solved. And to be honest, if they haven't bit on the first two emails, usually this one will get them. Because people want to have their problems solved. They want to live in a life where things are easy and this is done and it's not plaguing them. And the closer they are to their pinch point, the more important this email is. Because the closer they get to that pinch point, which is where they're going to really make the decision, the more uncomfortable things are. And then they get to look at what life would be like without the discomfort. And that's really important. The fourth email in the series is the email that happens if they don't bite on email number three and it gets a little bit more pointed and saying, this is what's going to happen if you don't solve the problem. So this is really going to capture those people who are a little further away from the pinch point. It's going to actually push them a little harder because they maybe haven't reached quite the same level as the people who would have bit on email three. So they aren't quite feeling the pain. But in this email, we help them get a little closer to that. So what happens if you don't solve this problem? The fifth email is where people are going to get stuck with that time, fear, and money. And I hit it head on. I put up right in the email, you know, three reasons why you're not ready to do this. <laughs> I mean, right in the subject line, I let them know right off the bat, people are curious and go, well, maybe I am ready. Maybe this is an indication. Maybe I should read this. And they click on it. And then we bring back all of the stuff that we talked about in that episode where we talked about value-based selling in that we're going to combat what their fears are around time, money, and fear itself. So that's really important. And if that doesn't push them over the edge, it's time to bless and release this person into just our regular communications because there's no sense in trying to keep on, oh my gosh, this is a horrible metaphor, but trying to ride a dead horse ain't going nowhere. So I offer one last plea to say, I've sent you these five emails and I say it nicer than this, but basically the gist is we've communicated with you a lot over the last how many ever weeks. And um, I just wanted to offer you a one final opportunity to maybe reach out in this particular case, maybe don't use the word final, but I wanted to offer you another opportunity to reach out and for whatever it is that you're trying to get them to do. But click on here to buy it, schedule an appointment, whatever it is you want them to do and make it very short and simple and clean. And then if they don't bite on that last email, then this nurture sequence is done. And we're just going to leave it lay for a little while. And we're going to just go ahead and send them our regular weekly or monthly or bi-monthly or however you do it, sales like newsletters and that kind of stuff. So just keeping a constant touch. Now, what you can do 
is in six months or depending on your what you're selling in six months or a year or three months or some period of time, you might come back and write another series of emails that follows the same format, but a little bit deeper or something. Because then at that point, things might have shifted for them and they're not quite biting on your regular communication. So you might put them back through another nurture sequence. But honestly, if you will write this sequence, these six little emails and send them out to the customers that are either in your connection or consideration phases, Get to get them over into conversion, you will start to find an impact for your business. I love how simple you've made this and how it's six emails. Like any one of us can sit down and write six emails to start creating nurture sequences. So you've made this super easy. I love it. I want to ask a question. If you're someone that has like, maybe you have a, a decent list, but you've not really been doing any nurture sequences. Would you recommend if someone wanted to start with this series that you write the series, you get it set, and then start it from the initial, like any new email that you get that comes in, like the inquiries that come in. And then everybody else, like I said, you're starting a nurture sequence. Everybody else kind of goes into your general category that you already had them in. How would you approach something like that? I'm sure you work with clients all the time that already have a decent list started, but they really haven't done anything with it and they want to start a nurture sequence. So I would start with as people come into my business, I wouldn't go back and try to send it to the people that have been sending emails on for emails to for months or years. That might feel a little bit weird. Maybe what you could do though Mm -hmm. is start incorporating a section of your regular email that covers not the last plea one, but the first five emails in this series, maybe start covering that a little bit as part of what your regular offering is. Like do your regular offering or at the top of it go, I really understand you. Here's why that does the problem. Or maybe you need or, you know, here's a review on the features of our particular product or service. Or do you ever wish blah, blah, blah. And just put a paragraph up on the top of your email that covers the specific things that we've talked about here. And it's kind of just like sneak it into that series. But when you do a nurture series, I would wait until those people start popping up in my business and start doing it. This is the way we do it here. We we send a nurture sequence when somebody initiates this action. That's when we start in with the nurture sequence. Excellent. Thank you for that. These three episodes are a great little introduction to value-based selling and nurturing and the things that you need to do to really help move your sales process forward. If you listen to this episode and you haven't listened to the two previous ones, please go back and listen to those because the three of them together, I think, really work well to help you really move this part of your business forward. Or at least that's my hope. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Business Animal. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you learned something today, leave us a review. To learn more, find us at thebusinessanimal.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep your business well-trained with The Business Animal.